Hello and welcome back to the Rovish Jack podcast. It's episode 14 and after a week without football, we're all looking forward to Saturday as football returns to Ewood Park as Cardiff City visit. On this podcast, we're going to discuss the past week or so with the Rovers international players, look ahead to the Cardiff game, we'll answer your questions and we've got a bit of a mastermind quiz at the end. In a week that I've seen the international state centre stage, Sammy Smodic pulled out the Ireland squad due to personal reasons. Andy Moran missed out on a senior call only due to injury, while Gil Sainan's also been playing for the 21s. And Arno Sigerson got an assist on his return to the Iceland squad. Obviously, we'll discuss all of that and more on this episode. And now it's time to introduce the co-host. Mike, I'll come to you first. How are we? Yeah, I'm good. I'm just looking forward to this international break being over so we can get back to real football. Yeah, definitely. It's nice to be back. I mentioned last week how, uh, how it's I didn't want this break to come after Rovers family when then it feels forever since that QPR trip. So glad to be back. And Mark, how are we today? Are we good? I'm, I'm all right. I'm recovering. I've had the, uh, as, as you two will both know, I've had the man flu, uh, which is obviously we all know how painful and, and potentially deadly that can be. Uh, our female listeners and viewers won't ever appreciate how, how painful and suffering we go through. But yeah, I'm obviously like a, a good man. I haven't mentioned it, but I'm doing all right. Glad to have you back to Full Fitness, Mark. Right, let's just get straight into it today. We'll look at the international player performances. Now, we won't go into it massively, but just a quick run through. So, like we mentioned, Sammy Smodix unfortunately pulled out due to personal reasons. Sigurdsson got his assist for Iceland. Moran would have been in the first team for the Gibraltar game, but unfortunately, injury stopped him being there. But there's another international break coming up. Hopefully, he can get in there. Zach Gosena, like I mentioned, featured for the 21s. And in the youth ranks, we've got Thomas Plotsam, who started one and been on the bench for one of the Ireland under-19 games. Junior Ed Sangu started both of them for Poland, while young, talented midfielder Rory Finneran's played for the Ireland under-15s now. Obviously, we've not seen too much of these players, so we can't go into too much detail. Mike, I'll just come to you. How good is it to see Arnold get his goal at international level after a really positive start to life at Ewood? Yeah, I mean, I was pleased that he's um, he's come through the game and that they've stuck to their agreement, which was one game, I believe. Um, he seems to have got, so he's got some minutes in his legs, but then it was the first game as well, which is quite important because now he's coming back, hopefully fresh, but had that, you know, did he get 90 minutes in the end? Uh, just did, sure. For sure, yeah, so, sure, yeah, you know, a bit more confidence for him. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it's been a positive couple of weeks for him, really. Yeah, and we mentioned Sammy Smodic, and I wanted to go on to a poll we put out on Twitter for anyone who doesn't follow Rovershire hmm. underscore on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. How many league goals will Sammy Smodic get at the end of the season? And the main consensus is 11 to 15. Mike, do you feel that's high? She's already on seven. Can he pass that 15 barrier? Or do you think we should kind of dampen the expectations? Well, I voted for that just because I want to be wrong. Um, and I'm normally wrong with these things. So I'm doing it on purpose. So then he will get a few more. I just think that people have been a little bit more realistic. The fact it probably will slow down. I can't see him getting as much game time throughout the season. There's going to be times where he's potentially getting injuries or we just need to, you know, save his legs for certain games. But I, I think his role could change a little bit eventually. Um, he may play the same position, but I think when Sam Gallagher comes back and so on, I think we won't be relying on Sammy for his goals. Um, yeah, I did vote for that, but I, I'm hoping he's going to be pushing 20. Yeah, I'm expecting him, uh, expecting him to get up there at the very least. Now, 
I wanted to discuss a topic that's not really Rovers related, but internationals. And it's club versus country. Now, it comes up every chance, uh, every international break, sorry, we always discuss, you know, between fans across the country, really discuss club versus country. Mark, does international football tickle the taste buds or is it just one of them things you have to put up with and kind of move on to the next week? Not outside a tournament for me. I think when the tournaments come around and England are involved, I'm all in. The summers, there's nothing better, I suppose, when it's summer, you're outside, usually the weather's okay, it unites people, but outside of that, international friendlies in particular, sorry, the Nations League as they've rebranded it, it's it's not for me. No, I'm not. I, I watch more of the Rovers players than I do of England. I couldn't yeah. even tell you when England were playing uh, a few days yeah. ago. I didn't know no. that Australia game were going on. It's just for me, it's just a break in the football you get used to. The only reason I were happy to go to League One was to get rid of the international breaks, and we still ended up having them because we signed a Mr. a Mr. Luke Wiley, but it is what it is. Mike, does international football do anything for you, or is it a case of, like I say, just a week off football, back to the normal stuff? No, exactly what Mark said and you've just said. It's just, it's just boring. It's boring football. I find it really irritating as well. I mean, back in the day with Wayne Rooney, I used to hate him in a Man United shirt, but I'm supposed to love him in an England shirt. It used to just irritate me. But, when it comes to the tournaments, yeah, I'm as patriotic as the next guy. You know, I'm getting the bets on and I'm getting in the beer gardens and I'm absolutely loving it. But I'm not bothered about us playing random friendlies. I'm not bothered about us playing some postman from San Marino. It's just pointless football <laughs> to me. If I want to do that, I'll just go down my local team and watch them. Yeah, it is that exactly, isn't it? it during the summer, it's good because it's a distraction and... Uh, it kind of bridges that gap between pre-season and the end of the season, really. Now, Mark, last week, not a winning bet for you on Friday with Moran and Sigurdsson. But can we go and get a win this week? You've got an England bet, I believe. Well, yeah, I mean, like we just said, international football, these are just ticking over, just passing the time. I've gone for an England bet. I think England are going to win. We're playing Italy. Who cares about the Italians? They deserve one over on them uh, after what they did last time. So I've got 2-1 England because I don't trust our defence more than anything. Uh, and £3 on that will return £25.50, I believe. So, yeah, I think that's a decent bet. Yeah, that's all right. That get, get us through. That'd be perfect. That's a nice win. Nice win for anyone heading down to Chelsea. What we'll do now, we'll look ahead to the Cardiff game. Now, obviously, Rovers play this on Saturday, a return to football, like we mentioned, before the Tuesdays and the Wednesdays come back as well. Cardiff visit Ewood only a few weeks after that cup game where Rovers, I'd say, demolished them, really. But a different Cardiff side are coming up. We know what they're like. They're doing well in the league as well, which I don't think you could say for a Cardiff side for quite a number of years, really. Uh, winning games, picking up some good points. You know, they beat Rotherham, Sunderland, Coventry, Swansea. Got some pretty decent results and they'll provide, I imagine, a tougher test in that cup game. Mike, how do you feel about Cardiff coming back up to you? Would you think they'll give Rovers a good game or do you think we'll just maybe have that extra bit of quality on home soil? I like to think we've got that little bit of extra quality being at home and having that break. Obviously, they've had a break as well. I think they've got a few international players as well that may have gone out and about. Um, it's it's a big one for us now because we obviously getting that win after, I mean, like I said, we've had more L's than a uh, Welsh train station's name, haven't we? Uh, 
before the last uh, game against QPR. And now, obviously, that international break came at a wrong time after that performance. For me, it's just about performing well and getting some points now. And if it's one point, I'll accept it. I mean, I want the win. But, yeah, I th- this is actually quite an important game for, for our you know, current uh, predicament. Yeah, definitely. Is. I don't think Rovers respond well as after international breaks. I'm not too sure of the record, but I'm pretty sure it's quite a bad one. Mark, obviously, like I said, Cardiff come up for the cup game previously, so we'll kind of both know what each other's about. Do you think we'll see pretty much of the same from Cardiff? Do you think they'll come up and try and... I think they tried to play us, you know, play round us in the cup. Mm. Do you think they'll do that, or do you think they might sit back and soak up the pressure and hit Rovers on the counter-attack? Because anyone who watches Rovers should know really that if you attack us, you're probably going to be on the bad side of a result. Yeah, I think they're looking at their team, they've made a lot of changes in the cup, haven't they, as well as us. And that tends to mean for a bit more of an open game, people trying to impress. I think they'd be naive if they came to Ewood and, and just went gung-ho and tried to match us at our own game. I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll come a little cautiously. But I, having seen the bits of them I have, they don't seem a side that will sit back too much either. I think that they'll just be a, a typical away performance. It's probably similar to how we play away from home, really. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all. But I think they come, they're probably the best they've been in a long time, Cardiff. I don't mm. think that's anything of a downside to say about them. I think they'll give us a good test. And I do think it'll be a good game. But with... Some tough games coming up. You know, we've got Millwall midweek. We've got uh, Swansea to come up to Ewood, who are doing quite well. A trip to Norwich and then that Preston game. I think it's going to be a an interesting game. Rovers, I feel, need the three points here, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, Rovers across this season have been very good and a lot of that's come down to the young players. And we wanted to focus this week's hot topic on them young players. Just how good is this generation of graduates? You know, we've seen a lot in the team... You know, you've got Travis, Hayden Carter, Scott Wharton. You can go on, can't you? Adam Wharton, Zach Gilsane, who we've mentioned already. Mike, I'll come to you first. Just how good is this generation of graduates and just how much can they achieve across their respective careers? We need this to be... It's it's one of those where, because of our financial situation, we've had to force our young players through a lot earlier. Now, you look back at the Duff and the Dunn era. Now, they, they were trying to get into the first team with extremely good players in front of them, which is probably why not as many actually came through. Right now, these players have to come through. We just need them to. And they've all stepped up. I think all the names you've just mentioned there, they are all really good championship players. Some of them, they could go on to be Premier League players. I don't think any of the... I mean, Adam Morton, obviously, is one that we, you know, we're you know, we all looking at, but I don't think any of them are looking like they could potentially be elite just yet. Um, you know, when I say elite, I mean top top Premier League, and Wharton's probably the one, but the rest of them, you could, you could potentially see some of them come into uh, lower-end Premier League sides and not look out of place. Yeah, I think we've a lot of talent here. I think people underestimate it as well. I don't think they understand how hard it is to win the championship. Harry Leonard's come in and looked, mm. you know, looked more than capable at this level, I'd suggest, after not really playing there, you know, four appearances last year, which isn't great experience. So now, Mark, you was at the Harrogate game where we saw a lot of youngsters. You had James Edmondson score his first goals, that you've seen him. Uh, got his second, actually. You've got Tom Bloxham. 
just how impressed we are that day by the level of talent. I know it were only League Two side mm. and we know how poor they were, but just how impressed we are. Yeah, I think it's been a similar thing from, from what I've mentioned previously in just that none of them look out of place. I think they're slotting into the system. And again, we've talked about this before and I do feel that, yeah, the academy's got to take great credit, but also the fact that we've now got this way of playing across the club does help those young players to slot in because, yes, they're stepping into the first team, but they're not stepping into a role that's completely alien to them. We're not playing a different formation. We're not asking them to do anything that they're not doing in the 21s or the 18s. I think we've got some exciting talent. What has been really pleasing for me recently, though, is I we have Phil Jones, but before that, I can't remember too many centre-halves that have really come through. Scott Wharton, it took him ages to come through. Now it seems like we've got a few coming through the, the pipeline, doesn't it? But this seems to be the case with most of the positions. One goes either through to the first team or out somewhere else, and there's just somebody behind. And they all just seem, it's just like a conveyor belt. And, and like you said, it's not that, I think we do appreciate it, but I don't think we appreciate how rare this is. You, you see other teams getting praise and they'll have had two players come into the first team. The amount we're getting is just obscene, really. And how we don't get more praise for it, I, I, I don't know. I, I think we've got the standout players. I think Gilsonen's obviously had a bad injury and he seems to have come right back and he's been one that's been talked about for a good while. But then we haven't had a goalkeeper that's come through for a long, long time. I know we've got the two youngsters. Obviously, we brought Hilton in a bit later. But they're not that young. And then we've gone and, and got Michalski, who's is he 16. And he, and he yeah. played the other day. And the reports were, you know, he's got glowing reports again. So it looks like we've got one of those coming through. So I just think it, it's unbelievable, really. And it's a, like Mike said, it's also a bloody good job because we've been a right mess, if not. Yeah, definitely. That Mikowski you mentioned uh, played against it was Nice, weren't it? At Ewood, and mm. for me, it was he had the perfect performance. And in fact, the person I went with said to me, if he could sort his distribution out, he could go on to be a very good keeper. And then he ended up giving the ball away, and luckily we <laughs> went and won it. But there's so much talent. You look at Tom H, who just signed his professional contract. You got Max Davis, who was also with the first team over pre-season. Jake Batty. Uh, you've got Harley O'Grady Macken, who I'm shocked hasn't had a bit more time with the first mm -hmm. team. I think he's really good. Charlie Weston, you've got Brandon Powell, they brought in this year, who's 17 year old and doesn't look out of place at all. He's a bit a bit like Tyrese Dolan with his trickiness. He's, you know, an attacking fullback as well by trade. But we see that so often when they, they play at fullback and move forward. There's so much talent. You're looking even at the bench that. Rovers are bringing on 16-year-olds. We're bringing on 15-year-olds. Rory Finneran, like I mentioned, played at under-21 level. He's playing six years below his age, what his yeah. age should be to play at that level. It's incredible just how many times. Zach Strick, who's come in this year and done really well for the 18s. There's so much talent. And for me, we're, we're not on a golden generation yet, but if we can get two or three years down the line where we've got Adam Wharton playing won't be playing at our level, will he? Let's be honest. You've got uh, Ash Phillips, who was obviously with us, who should go on and do stuff. All these players, for me, the club's got so many players on this production line and hopefully mm. it should fund us going forward. We've mentioned about being self-funded for a long time. I just yeah. hope we get there. It's a real, real talented bunch. And you know what? We'll lose games this year at 21 level. We'll keep losing them. 
Uh, ben Faust as well. Another one I have. I was just, just, just going to say, Ben Faust was obviously at the Leicester game, wasn't he? He was close to, to yeah. the squad then. He's had that bad injury. And also Sam Barnes. I was so impressed with Sam Barnes last pre-season. I feel really sorry. I mean, he's obviously not that young. Um, but centre-half, I suppose he is, and relatively inexperienced. But I, I don't know if anyone's seen... There was a, I think it was a podcast rather than a YouTube with uh, Greg Broughton, and he talks about how really the model is that in the 21s you look right down to the age groups and you kind of say, right, if in the under-18s, it should be the what would ordinarily be the under-16s that play in there. Once they've had a season, then they should be pushing into the 21s. So if they're still playing in the 18s when they are under 18, the development's a little bit behind. So he's working on the basis of the 17-year-olds will be in the 21s. Once they've had one, one and a half solid season in there, they should be pushing for the first team or they're missing something. And he said it shouldn't be a development thing they're missing then. It should be first team football. So at that stage, he wants them out on loan. And you're seeing that, you know, we always, if you look at the performances of our under-21s or more than most of the results, early part of the season, we seem to struggle a bit. And then we, then they get used to what the level they're playing at. And then as the season tails off, they start to struggle again because what we're doing is we're bringing the next crop through. So I don't worry too much about the results. Um, but in terms of production line, it's working perfectly. I think your prime example is Joe Rang Costello with that age thing you mentioned. I remember him being 16 or 17 around the what was then the under-23s. And it just builds the development so much. They're playing against... Yeah. I remember Lewis Baker when he was 26 playing against our 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds. Mm. I've seen uh, Jack Vailram rings around Mangala from Man City, Rob Holding. You know, they're getting experience against yeah. really good players. And for me, it'll only benefit them going forward. And like you said, I think we sacrifice results at times. But now yeah. we can't get relegated anywhere from the division because it's changed into being a one-league one set up with 25 teams like the Champions League is going to be. For me, within win a win-win, results don't matter yeah. at 21 level. Don't get me wrong, the winning mentality is yeah. good. You know, teaching yeah. them how to win games is good, but development so much more. Adam Wharton come out of one of the worst 21 sides with sim results-wise, and look at him. Same with Ash Phillips. We'll move on now to my favourite part of the show. Yes. Purely because of the music. Oh, of course, all of it's fair. Nice little sing, Right, here we go then, boys. So we, we've got a few questions here. Um, the first one I'm going to throw at Dan. Has the international, sorry, David asks, has the international break come at a good or a bad time for Rovers? Good question. Both. Is both a possible answer? I think with the result, I wanted to build on that, but then you're getting these players back and you're getting them extra weeks in them. Uh, we'll see a couple. I think Adam Watson were one, weren't it, that John Dahl said he'd have made the game after the QPR one if we had one. So, uh, both. I think it's come a good time in terms of injuries and getting squad players back, but I'd love for us to be able to build on that QPR result and get a bit of confidence going. It's a tough scenario. Like I said, exactly what I said in the last pod, I wanted the international break and then we beat QPR and I don't. So I'd say a mixed <laughs> actor. 
Yeah, well, I was along the lines of I wanted one more game, like one more win just after that QPR one. I've been quite happy to go in with a you know bruised squad, let the physios do their job, let everyone get themselves together and, and rebuild. Mark, do you have anything to add on that? I mean, do you feel like we needed the break or would you have liked another yeah. game or two? I think we needed the break. I think the players that, that we've got out injured, it just gives us that extra bit of time to get them back. I still think it was a good thing that obviously it was, but you know, sometimes when you win, you think, ah, wrong time to go on a break, let's go on a run. I think that was the perfect thing. Let's get that win just to box that off. Go and reset, get some players back from injury, work with the players a bit more. Hopefully Ennis is back. Hopefully Leonard's back. Um, so yeah, for me, it was, it was a good time. Yeah, I mean, I did the review of the QPR game and I, I brought up the international break a few times and I said mm-hmm. the mentality of the players going into a break off a win rather than a loss yeah. was massive because then they you know they feel like they're actually building on something rather yeah. than you know going in in a loss and not being able to put it right so yeah mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's if I'm really reviewing it I'll probably say it did come at a good time actually so then we can mm-hmm. get them players back in I think if you look at this weekend's game as well, if we'd have lost the QPR game, we'd be going into this and this set of results now. And all all we'd be talking about now is we've got to win this weekend and Mm. we've got to get nine points out of the next 12 and these kind of things. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a big run of games for us, but that's probably to decide whereabouts in the table we'll finish. Um, I'm I'm quite relaxed now about how we're going into the next period. I think we'll probably do what what we would expect. Uh, whereas I think the pressure would have really been on us now. Yeah, definitely. So next question I'll throw at Mark. Sam asks, "What are your expectations between now and the new year for Rovers, and where do you yeah. think we'll sit in the table?" So I think that's come Christmas. So where yeah. where would where do you feel like we'd be? I think we'll be where I think we'll end up, to be honest. I think we'll be mid-table, so 10th to 14th. I expect that we've got an idea of our best starting 11, I would say. Although, as we talked about in the last pod, I think we will have variations depending on on the team we're playing, whether at home, whether away. You know, we might have Tronstad if we're going a bit more defensive. We might have Hill if we're looking for a bit more height. But yeah, I think think we'll have a, a clear identity of the team. I think we'll have a clear identity of our number one. Uh, probably of our number nine and I think we'll be mid-table in terms of league positions and Dan how do you think this will affect the winter window um, the next run of game you, you know between now and the new year say Mark's right and we're mid-table does that affect what we do in winter I think it's all down to the India situation if that's resolved I think we'll get a striker regardless of where we are I don't see it being resolved. It feels like it's going to go on for a long time. So I'd love to say it will, but I don't see anything until we get this a fully clear picture, which uh, we'll be honest, we've heard murmurs at the moment of things going on, but I don't think anyone knows, even those pretty high up in the club. No, I was going to bring that India situation up at one point, but I, we just don't know enough to talk about it, do we? So there's, there's no point in this even trying to speculate, let alone work it out. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I think we're going to be mid-table. I, I've got a real good feeling that we're going to just have a run of form at some point where we're just going to string yeah. a few wins together. And you've seen what the league's like. It doesn't take that much to get, you know, build up the league, no, does it? Right. 
And I can see us getting four or five wins on the bounce and suddenly we're all rosy and thinking about playoffs again. Um, yeah, I, I think we're going to be mid-table come Christmas. I just hope we don't get that uh, February slump that we tend to get because that's not going to be too helpful for us. So this one's for all of us. Stuart asks, Rovers rivalries aside, what are the most random teams you dislike and are there any players <laughs> anger towards now, I'll start off with Dan. So, you go first, Dan. Teams, I think it's teams that I've had my day ruined by when I've gone and watched Rovers. I think Reading are up there. I don't know why. I actually like the fans. I just don't like the team for some reason. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, just always a terrible day. I always, mine always go off experiences I've had there and Reading and Sheffield Wednesday are the worst ones. In terms of players... See, I like the ones that people don't like. I love Jamie Vardy, I think. I know he yeah. rattled a lot of people at Ewood the other week, but I love him. I think he's he's exactly the player that, you know, he's a word that we won't use use on here, but players-wise, I never used to like Laurent Koscielny. I don't know why. There's something about him. Other than that on goal, <laughs> that job is That's random to me. Yeah. There was something about yeah. him. Just uh, the well, players. Well, well, Lauren. But that own goal uh, in the 4-3 result, it can uh, be let off a little bit for that. I've got an absolute random one I'll get to at the end, but Mark, who are yours? Um, well, avoiding rivals, but I don't consider them a rival. I just They just do my dream because they always ruin my day every time I go there. Uh, it's Wigan. I care yeah. less about them in terms of a rival. I mean, actually, talking of, of ranking teams, you're listening on the radio or whatever after a game. Obviously, there's a certain set down the road. Take a great deal of life, they lose. But even Preston, to be fair, I want, I'd rather I want them to finish below us. But Preston, Blackpool, and it, Wigan, I used to class them as much as on start. And I couldn't stand I think, yeah, I quite want them to win. Not anymore. What a horrible <laughs> thing. It's always horrible weather at the DW. We always lose. We always never turn up. Um, so, so we can, and in terms of players, it's probably on those lines. And it's Sam Morsi. It's a horrible yeah. individual. He might be lovely as a person, but I don't, I don't think he is. We've all seen him on the pitch. Horrible individual. So now's a bad time to say that I was actually born in Wigan, wasn't it? That's a pretty bad oh, thing to say. That's, that's <laughs> fine. I mean, they brought us the <laughs> delicacy that is the Wigan kebab. That's fine. We're all a fan <laughs> of that. Just not the football team. It's. I mean, we can't really talk, but it's a half-empty ground. They'd all rather be watching the rugby. They just turn up because the rugby's not on at the time. Just get rid of them as a football club. Them and MK Dons as well. Just get rid of them both. I agree. So my, mine's Villa. I've said it before. Um, yeah. Living where I do, all the fans, they're the most irritating fans <laughs> out of all of them. They go on about the European Cup. They think they're massive. I could talk for days about their finances, that ghost goal that should have brought them down. I've got all the information logged right up here in my head, ready to argue with any Villa fans that come at me. I can't stand them. And it had nothing to do with the fact that they were scouting me and decided they didn't want to sign me. But my lads played them three times and they've beaten them three times, so I'm chuffed about that. I've probably celebrated that more than I've celebrated most Rovers stuff, to be honest. But my players, I mean, I, I don't like Fulham. Now, the reason Fulham was because when we got promoted back in the old Division 1 days, they beat us out, didn't they? And do you remember, Mark, do you remember Sean Davis dancing yes. in front of us? Like, I do remember that, that. 
that right got to me. I, I could have ran on the pitch. Mm. I, rem- and, I remember uh, the kit they had. That red, it was that red kit, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, when he did that dance. But for me, it was yeah. Danny Mills. I can't stand Danny Mills. Yeah. He's just an absolute rat of a man. Now, granted, I could he, when when he went on the BBC and he was with Garth Crooks, who's another one I can't stand. And it was like when them two were commentary, I just had to turn the BBC off. I couldn't stand yeah. it. But my absolute random one is Andy Murray's mom. I can't stand Andy <laughs> Murray's mom. <laughs> just her celebrating oh. every time he did something at Wimbledon. It just really got to me. I don't know why. It's just, I can't stand his mom. But that's my random one. So anyway. so for anyone, li- anyone listening, obviously we've avoided ex-players there, haven't we? And, and you know Because otherwise the likes of Danny Mills, uh, BBC pundit friend, Danny Murphy will be uh, all over this. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely encouraging all Aston Villa fans to fly at Mike, please. This is something I, I want I'm to ready. see the spin-off, <laughs> Villa versus Mike. So on Facebook, I had to change my profile pic because I was getting death threats of Villa fans because I called Jack Grealish a greasy rat. <laughs> And I was like, I know where you live. I'll see you when I see you, pal. And I was like, okay. <laughs> if you and, want to. Now they're doing it as well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for so, it. So, Villa, Plymouth, is there any other fans that, that you're barred from? Oh, I'm going to tick them off. Don't worry. This this is my outlet now. This podcast is my outlet to start well, having I'm a go at all the fan bases. We're going to have a spin-off show. <laughs> Mike hates, yeah. yeah. So... Last one in the mailbag, and P. Smitty's asking this. What has been your favourite Rovers player international moment? So, Mark, can you think of any Rovers players when they've played for us and gone on to play for other countries and you've really enjoyed it? Do you know what? And I'm probably going to steal someone else's it. The one it would have been, and then he ruined it, was Shearer in '96. I, I remember I was sat in my back living room. She scored. Patio doors were open. My arm was up. I was celebrating around the garden. And then he went and ruined it and told us he wasn't leaving and left. So uh, so I've discounted that one. Uh, do you know, I enjoyed watching the 2002 World Cup with Duff. I really, really did. He was mm. he, he lit it up. Uh, and it was an enjoyable World Cup anyway because, you know, I'm not going to them all because you might not want to talk about them. But, but yeah, the 2002 World Cup and, and Duff, it was just because we knew how good he was. But finally, you know, always only at Blackburn at that stage, um, we were able to see him on the big stage. So, yeah, Duff, World Cup. Dan? The Brereton Diaz one for me, that was full circle. When he got his goal, I think it were, I think it just finished off the story, didn't it? I know, obviously... Mark and I was involved in a few stuff with it, and it was, it just felt like the perfect ending to the story. I know he's not doing too well now, but that Diaz moment, I don't remember too many. The only, I remember watching Nyambe at the AFCAM. I remember watching a few of his games, but that's where it's. Well, you haven't been lucky like you, uh, like us, have you? You're, you know, because you're obviously. Not, I'm not going to say quite a bit younger because that really ages us, but obviously you are younger than us. So you're not going to remember the golden eras that we're talking about. So, yeah, your your international um, honours for Rovers players isn't quite as glittering for as ours, is it? Most of them, which says everything about... You must remember um, Bentley playing for England, though. 
I don't remember exactly. My first World Cup, I know we we mentioned this and it might felt old, were 2006, so there's not much on there. I know Bentley were just there. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Him. Yeah, but, but did he play in a friendly by any chance? Well, he, he did, and he was announcing himself, wasn't he, in typical Bentley style, and obviously it's on podcasts now, where he was announcing himself as the next Beckham and calling Capello, Postman, Part, and the whole shaboogle. He was uh, he was on great form. I barely remember right, the Capello days of England. Right, Mike, well, kick, him, kick him off here. <laughs> yeah, this, this is it. Well, I did say my theory is, is that you know you're old when you talk to someone else and they tell you what their first World Cup memories were, because mine was 1990. So that right. just shows like how old I am. Mm. Yeah, mine was 94 and Diana Ross. Diana Ross, was it Diana Ross? Missed the penalty. Yeah. Oh, when she missed that. That it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. So that was my first World Cup where I remember nearing the fall of it. But my first World yeah. Cup memories, I remember being obsessed with Rude Hullet. And because yeah. it was all Italian football yeah. at the time, wasn't it? On telly? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, it's class. Yeah. So it was all AC Milan players. I absolutely loved it. So that was, that was yeah. my first memories. But imagine. Yeah, Imagine being us and the 94 World Cup. You couldn't even watch England. So I, I had to, you know, I watched Ray Halton scoring and, you know, Martin Darling. Ireland for a bit. Martin Darling, he did. Thomas Martin. Brolin before before he uh, puts a few pounds on, shall we say. And, and also Maradona. goes off to Everton. Yeah, oh, it, was, yeah. it was quite a big, yeah. it was a really good tournament because obviously we all just became Ireland fans, didn't we? And Ray Halton yeah. scored that yeah, goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so... Yeah, it was, or Eng- yeah, England B as they're now known. Well, people get in the comments, tell us what your first what first World Cup memory was, so then we can all feel really old. If there's anyone that can make me feel better, I want them ones. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but yeah, that's the mailbag boys. Thank you very oh, much, Mike. Nice. Perfect Thanks, as Mike. always. So we all know what time it is now. It's quiz time. We'll get into it. It's a bit Ooh. of a mastermind thing this week. So we've each created. <laughs> Looking forward to this. I have I've really looked forward to it all week. And hmm. we've got six rounds. There's 15 questions. I don't think we'll get through the 15. 60 seconds each. So Mark will ask Mike. Then I'll yep. ask Mark. And then Mike will ask me our questions. So we've got a subject each for the Premier League. So Mike will be doing the 90s Premier League. Mark will be doing 2000s. I'll be doing 2010s. And then we've each picked a season that we're going to cover in terms of Rovers, especially subject. We'll just get into it. Mark, you're asking Mike the questions first and you're going okay. on the 90s Premier League. And you're doing the timings, is that right, Dan? I am, oh, yeah. So, so, score, it's right? almost like we know what we're doing, isn't it? <laughs> I'll, I'll let you count us in, Dan. Right, let's get on. Mike, sounded a bit, a bit too much like, let's get it on. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous now because it's getting to a point with these quizzes where I've realised that I've had too many hits to the head. Like my <laughs> my retaining knowledge is terrible. So Probably Mark, an Aston Villa finance. Why haven't you picked Aston Villa as your specialist? Yeah, you should have had that. Oh, to be honest, I probably could have done. About <laughs> uh, sixty seconds to yeah. ask Mike about the ninety yeah. Premier League. Three, two, one, go. Which team fielded the first non-English starting eleven? Chelsea. It was in 99. Fabrizio Ravanelli scored a hat-trick on his Borough debut. Who were the opponents? Ah. Shirt over his head. 
Yeah, I, don't, uh, I can't think who he played against. Pass. After after their ground was deemed unsuitable for Premier League football, who shared a ground with Crystal Palace? Wimbledon. They did. The Premier League was launched to much fanfare, calling it a whole new ball game. But what was the song to promote the league? Oh, I do know it. Oh, I'm going to pass. Referees traditionally wore black until the Premier League began. What colour did they predominantly wear in the opening season? Was it green? It was. Paul Rideout scored a header to win the 95 FA Cup. But for who? Everton. Stop. That's a minute. That's, That's a brutal amount of time. I'll let you get that last yeah. one in there. <laughs> Four so, Fabrizio Ravanelli was against Liverpool. Right. And the song was Alive and Kicking. Oh, oh God. God. I know the advert was, it was a real cringy one, wasn't it? Do you know, on the good news, I think we've got another week's worth of questions here, so we're all right. We've got next week's quiz sorted. Yeah, we'll do this again next week. Yeah, I like that. So I got we four. Might, yeah, you got four. We might up the time next week. Might see what's what. Uh, so it is my turn to ask Mark now about the 2000s Premier League. Oh, I'm not looking forward to this. Okay, I I've got the stopwatch I'm... ready. Right, one second. Dan's pulling up the uh, sport or website. Spork, is it Spork or the quiz website? It is. But no, I've got <laughs> some lovely questions here. Right, I'm ready when you are. Okay, three, two, one, go. Who won the Golden Boot with 30 goals for Sunderland in the 99-2000 season? Kevin Phillips. Which team were labelled the Invincibles following an unbeaten 3 or 4 season? Arsenal. But in 2000 and 2009, named three Premier League Golden Boot winners. Uh, Shearer, Cole, Chris Sutton. Nope. Derby County famously finished with how many points in the 07-08 Premier League season? That famous, I can't remember. 12. 11. Name two of the three goalkeepers to score, between, uh, to score in the Premier League in the 2000s. Brad Friedel. And? Schmeichel. Yep. The 2000 and 2001 season saw three teams relegated from the Prem whose name ended in City. Can you name two of them? Manchester City and Leicester? Nope. Which Tottenham um, striker scored five goals? There we go. So that was a minute. So you got four as well. Uh, so you missed. Between 2000 and 2009, the three Premier League Golden Boot winners, you could have had Phillips, Hasselbank, Omri four times, Van Nisseroy, <laughs> Drogba twice, Ronaldo and Anka. And the clubs to go down that were called City were Manchester, Coventry, Bradford. Lovely. Thank you for that, Dan. I wasn't as brutal as I was expecting you to do. You no, normally notoriously cruel with quizzes, but yeah. I'll delete them questions. We can come back next week. Lovely job. Uh, right. So we've got Mike asking Dan about the... What, I don't 2010 know to 2019. Yeah, 2010 to 2019, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And are we ready? Okay, boys. Three, two, one. Who won the most Premier League titles between 2010 and 2019? Manchester City. 
Correct. Sergio Aguero's goal for Man City in 2012, which won them the title with the last of the game, was assisted by who? Balotelli. Correct. How many times did Mourinho win the league in the 2010s? Once. Correct. Leicester City won the league in 2015-16. Who was their top goal scorer? Vardy. Correct. Who scored 10 goals in 29 games for Newcastle between 2010 and 2012? 10 goals in 29. No. No. Um, Who scored the most goals between 2010 and 2019? Harry Kane. Nope. Who scored, who got the most assists between 2010 and 2019? De Bruyne. No. Who, while playing for Spurs, was named the PFA Players Player of the Year twice in the decade? Harry Kane. No. So we've all got four on that one. Four. So... It, the yeah. top goal scorer, so the score, the twenty ten goals in 29 league games for Newcastle between 2010 and 2012, Mark. He's got Rovers connections. It's our friend, Leon Best. Oh. Oh. Why have you brought him in? I apologise. You've ruined my <laughs> And the most goals scored in the decade? Aguero. Aguero, which means assists. It wasn't De Bruyne, it was his mate, Silver. David Silva. And player of the player, players player of the year, twice in the decade. Bale. Gareth Bale, yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Was that four as well? That was four as well. This is Ooh. not scripted. Look at <laughs> right then, so we're on to Mike's specialist subject. Mike... Uh, called Shotgun on the picking of these, and he picked the 1994-95 Blackburn Rovers title-winning season. Okay. Uh, so I'm ready whenever you want to go. Three, two, one, go. West Ham United's goalkeeper played a key role in us winning the league. Ludet McCluskey. Gerald Ashby controversially sent off Henning Berg against Manchester United at home. What was the final score of that game? Three, two to Manier. Or two. Blackburn had four goalkeepers with squad numbers that season. Flowers, Mims and Given. Who was the fourth? Frank Tallier. Yeah. Which Paul was the son of a member of staff and he was in Rovers' squad that season? Polish. Which Paul? No, I was in Paul, first name. Oh, Warhurst. Is the son of a member of staff. Oh, Dalglish. All hard pass. <laughs> uh, Blackburn Rovers famously beat Newcastle 1 0 on VE Day when Shearer headed home. Who crossed the ball? Uh, Wilcox. I saw. Blackburn lost 2 1 to Liverpool on the final day. Shearer opened the scoring and Redknapp scored a free kick. Who scored Liverpool's John Barnes. Stop. Did. Free there. Oh, brutal. I spent too long trying to find the Paul. I thought you said Paul. It's my accent, that. It's my accent, that. <laughs> Paul. I was, I was trying to think of Polish players. I was like, Jesus, we had the, we had the most like Brexit <laughs> squad you could potentially have, and I'm trying to think of a Polish guy. <laughs> uh. oh. Right, okay. Just seven mic over it on. <laughs> my accent, then. Right. Oh, dear. Okay, so... Oh. 
<coughs> You're asking Mark, aren't you now? I'm asking Mark about the 2000-2001 promotion season. Hmm. Okay, three, two, one, go. The same player scored Rovers' first and last goal of that season. Who was it? Nathan Blake. It was. Who did Rovers beat in the opening fixture 2-0? Oh. Palace. It was. Which team did Rovers score the most goals against across the two league games? Burnley. Yep. Who Get were the it. only side to do the double over Rovers that season? Fulham. Yep. Finishing as top scorer, how many goals did Matt Janssen score in all competitions? Oh, in all competitions. I think this is 24. It is. And who yeah. finished the second top scorer in all comps? Done it. It was only one less, I think. It was. David Dunn scored three penalties against Rochdale. Damien Duff scored twice. Which other player whose surname begins with D scored the other against Rochdale? Cabadillara. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you have that, Mark. That was at one minute, two seconds, but the question was so wordy. I thought I'd let you have them extra couple of questions. Uh, couple Thank of you, Mike. So you got seven. seven. Yeah. Yes. Any Matt Janssen questions, by the way, just in case you haven't noticed, that should have been my specialist subject. <laughs> so 11 for Mark. Oh. Okay, so... Mark, have you got the stopwatch ready? So this is I've the got stopwatch ready. So this is the 2017-2018 League One promotion season. Which is only a couple of weeks ago, Dan, so no yeah. pressure. Right. Three, two, one. Who was the starting goalkeeper for the season? Oh, David Rayer. Correct. Who wore number 14? Charlie Mulgrove. Correct. Who won Player of the Year for the club? Bradley Dack. Correct. Who won number five? Sam Hart. Correct. Mate, you've got to get yourself checked <laughs> out. How many points did Rovers finish with? 96. <laughs> Correct. How was the, what was the score when Rovers played Fleetwood on the 31st of October 2017? 2-2. Mate, you got seriously. Who were, who were Rovers' opponents on the first day of the season? South End. Who were on the last day of the season? Oxford. Uh, who knocked Rovers out of the FA Cup that year Time. in the third round? Hull City. I'll let you have that. Jeez. Oh, He's the only nine. good got nine. I feel like percentage-wise, I was happy with my performance, but I got seven points in total, which sounds bad. It does sound no. bad. I get that. No, but I feel like percentage-wise, I did all right. Do uh, you know what, Mike? Uh, I think the questions I asked you were wordier than the ones you asked Dan. That's, yeah, that's why he was able. That's why he was able to do it. See, I'm a quiz. I'm a you know. I, I like to uh, ask quick quiz questions. I think I'm going to make them as wordy as possible next time. Yeah. So, Mark then got eleven points, and then Dan got thirteen. There Perfect. we go. Well, well done, Dan. Round of applause. 
Great performance. We'll back with that next week. Uh, we've got yeah. questions. I'm going to have to think of a couple more questions because, like, you've just nailed all of my questions. Mike, never give him any squad number question. Never. Always. No, well, I wanted, so the Sam Hart one, I was testing him with. I, I like no that. one. I knows, like that one. No. no one knows Sam Hart's number except well, for we've all tried. I mean, Sam Hart. Sam Hart I've forgot his own number. Yeah. Yeah. You can't forget Sam Hart. I tried. What a player. Well, yeah. And I have done until about 10, 20 seconds ago. No, perfect <laughs> there. Thank you very much. Brilliant quiz. Uh, we'll be back next week. I'm sure we'll do another mastermind. Uh, I'll get a couple more questions in. But that's where we round off. Thank you to everyone for watching. A good 50 minutes over there of Rovers related stuff, a bit of international stuff as well. And of course, a quiz. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you very much, fellas. Enjoyable as always. Of all, of, of course, and Mark, thank you as always. <laughs> Dan's been on the rum again, hasn't he? There? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been on the been rum. The <laughs> uh, no, it's been good. I've enjoyed this one, and uh, I look forward to actually talking about Rovers properly next week. Yeah, really looking forward to being back. Of course, we'll be back next Tuesday at 8am with a new podcast as we look at the Cardiff game, look ahead to the Millwall and the Swansea games and everything else. But there we are. Thank you for watching. Hit like. Whatever platform you're watching on, hit subscribe, review the podcast. You know what to do by now. Follow us on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, at RoversChat underscore. And we'll see you next time for a new podcast. Here's hoping three points this weekend and then a positive week heading into the Millwall game.